This is Shi'ar Jeshub, coming from Shi'ar Jeshub Christian Tabernacle in Madison, Connecticut, and featuring the ministry of Pastor Greg Scalzo. Today, we will be concluding a sermon in the Heavenly Authority series on the Office of the Teacher. And when we left off, Pastor Greg had clarified that true preaching, just as true teaching, could evoke a holy solemnness and a deep understanding of the weight of sin. He went to 2 Peter, where Noah is called a preacher of righteousness, and looked at other New Testament verses that described preaching as having much more depth than we are used to in modern American preaching. And if you look in Romans chapter 10 and verse 14, how then shall they call on him in whom they have not believed? And how shall they believe in him of whom they have not heard? And how shall they hear without a preacher? I'm giving you a little overlap into the office of the preacher as we do the teacher. How shall they hear without a preacher? And that comes, that word there comes from the verb form of kerus. Okay, the same word being used by Paul in Romans, 1 Timothy, 2 Timothy, a herald. Paul is sent out, right, as an apostle. He's sent out to start a work of God. As an apostle, he's sent out to build a church, to build churches, to start churches. And so the first thing he has to be able to do is to preach, right? He has to be able to proclaim the gospel. And then once the people are saved, he has all these people saved, what does he have to do with them? He's got to teach them. Daraskalos, as a teacher. Right? Teach it to the Gentiles. So that word in 2 Peter chapter 2, verse 5, when it says Noah is a preacher, is indeed preacher. Noah was a preacher. He was a preacher of what? He was a preacher of righteousness. What do you think Noah said to that ancient world? In 1 Peter, the first letter of Peter, in chapter 3 and verse 20, who formerly were disobedient when once the divine long-suffering waited in the days of Noah while the ark was being prepared in which a few, that is, eight souls, were saved through water. The divine long-suffering, the long-suffering of God waiting patiently. As God is waiting and Noah's building the ark, as he's building the ark, He's preaching, he's proclaiming. What do you think he's saying to them, to this generation that would perish if they did not repent? Certainly he's proclaiming the good news of God's saving power. That had to be central to his message, right? But what words do you think he used to define the pre-flood state of mankind to implore the people to repent? You think he told them the truth of their situation, the seriousness of their violence and polygamy and abominations, contaminating all flesh. The saving power of God and the righteousness, what is right in God's sight. He was a herald, and he probably, when they got off the ark, what do you think Noah probably preached to his descendants? Now, I should not have said those familiar primarily with preaching, rather familiar with modern-day American preaching. 
uh, and not even just American preaching, the foundations of our nation. I want to read something very fascinating here that most school children should know, and unfortunately today, many do not. The first great awakening, if the first great awakening had not happened, the United States of America would not have been here. Now, that's not always taught in modern day history classes. People knew it years ago. It was the revival that happened earlier on in the century that gave the people the courage to cry out, no king but King Jesus. The Great Awakening saw thousands upon thousands saved in a miraculous way. And I want to read you this one of the central figures in the first Great Awakening. And you know his name is Jonathan Edwards. He lived from 1703 to 1758. Jonathan Edwards was colonial America's most famous preacher. Preacher and probably her most brilliant thinker, scholar, and theologian. He was born in Connecticut. This area we live in has an important role in the First Great Awakening, an important role in the Second Great Awakening, and I believe that this area has an important role in the revival that must come to America for things to change before the coming of the Lord. He was born in Connecticut at a time when the original Puritan zeal for God had died down in the colonies, and God used him and the English revivalist, George Whitfield to stir the people as never before during America's Great Awakening. And that was from 1730 to 1750. So you see how close it is before the revolution, 1730 to 1750. The Great Awakening began. After the Great Awakening, you had a lot of small churches popping up, born-again kind of churches. That Anglican hold of the Church of England over the population of America got cut. And so America could be formed because there was not that connection to the Church of England. The Great Awakening began on a Sunday in 1734, while Edwards was preaching to his congregation in Northampton, Massachusetts. God melted hardened hearts, and during the following weeks, Edwards estimated that 300 people were, quote, savingly brought home to Christ. He later described the effect the revival had on the entire town. The town seemed to be full of the presence of God. The noise amongst the dry bones waxed louder and louder. The revival struck the hearts first of the young people, first of the young people, and then of their elders all over the town. The tavern was soon empty. People had done with their quarrels, backbiting and intermeddling with other men's matters. That's the quote he gives. Then it goes back to the text. Sinners in the hands of an angry God. That's a famous sermon. Sinners in the hands of an angry God, which Jonathan Edwards preached in Enfield, Connecticut, on July 8th, 1741, is probably the most famous sermon ever preached in America. As Edwards read the sermon to the congregation in his logical, unemotional manner, he would sit there with his glasses, he had it like this, and he would read it. He didn't have showmanship to him. There weren't cameras, there weren't boom boxes, there wasn't prancing. He sat there and he read it to the congregation in his logical, unemotional manner. The Spirit of God moved in a wonderful way. Men and women who had been hearing sermons for years without being moved cried to God for mercy. Remember how they wept at the teaching of Ezra and the Levites? Now this is preaching. Pleading with the preacher 
Is there no way to escape? Some said they could feel the fires of hell grabbing on them. Hundreds were brought to salvation through this one message, and it was only one example of the workings of God during the period just prior to America's birth as an independent nation. So there's American preaching, and it was in such a manner that the solemnness, the revelation of God's holiness, man's sinfulness, the seriousness of God's call of grace, our reaction to that call, what do you do if you're presented with the gospel of Jesus Christ? No, that solemnness is not restricted to the realm of teaching, but to preaching as well. And we just kind of get confused because we've seen just a slice of it in modern American preaching. But preaching is more in-depth than modern American preaching. Okay, let's go on. Very quickly, in Acts chapter 13, remember we read uh, several times, now in the church that was at Antioch, that was at Antioch, there were certain prophets and teachers Erascalos, and we know their names, Barnabas, Simon, who was called Niger, Lucius of Cyrene, uh, Manaen, who had been brought up with Herod the Tetrarch, and Saul, Paul, right? And they ministered to the Lord and fasted. The Holy Spirit said, now separate to me Barnabas and Saul for the work to which I have called them. Then having fasted and prayed, they laid hands on them, and they sent them away. They're sent out as apostles. The apostles are called, and we talked about this briefly in the section of apostles, they're called from the prophets and the teachers, and we discussed it with the prophets. But why do you think the teachers would be candidates uh, for the apostles and also of the group open to hear God's calling of who the selection was for to be sent out to do the work? If you remember, one of the important functions of the apostles were what? Maintaining, remember, maintaining sound teaching and doctrine in the church, right? Acts 6.2, then the twelve summoned the multitude of the disciples and said, it is not desirable that we should leave the word of God and serve tables. The ministry of the word, the doctrine, the sound doctrine in the church. In Acts chapter 5, verse 17, the high priest rose up and all those with him, uh, they were filled with indignation at the apostles. They laid their hands on the apostles. They put them in prison, in the common prison. At night, an angel of the Lord opens the prison doors, brings them out, and says, Go stand in the temple and speak to the people all the words of this life. And then verse 21, And when they, the apostles, heard that, they entered the temple early in the morning, like Jesus, and what? And taught. Did Asko? It's not surprising that the teachers who are gifted to teach and have studied the Word of God would be candidates to be sent out to start churches, to start ministries, to start a work of God. They know the Scriptures, they have the sound doctrine, and they've hopefully lived it and are able to communicate it. Just as we read a few moments ago, Paul says, I was appointed a preacher and an apostle, a teacher of the Gentiles in faith and truth. That's 1 Timothy 2.7. A teacher of the Gentiles in faith and truth. 
The NIV says, a teacher of the true faith, in faith and truth. They know the faith in Christ Jesus. They're in the faith of Christ Jesus. They know the truth of Christ Jesus, and they can teach the truth of Christ Jesus, and they teach it. That is their calling. He was to teach the truth to the Gentiles, and Paul was an excellent teacher. And even as Paul still teaches us today by the epistles, the Holy Spirit wrote through him. And Paul was called to preach, as were all the apostles, to Keruso, it says in Mark chapter 3. They were called to be with Jesus, and he would send them out, it says in Mark 3, 13 uh, to 15. In verse 14, he sent them out to preach. They were sent forth, apostello, to preach. Keruso, to be a herald, the verb form of preaching, to be the public crier, to preach and to teach. Okay, And Lord willing, uh, there's more to the study on teachers and We'll pick it up next time. Heavenly Father, we give you thanksgiving for your word, Lord God. We thank you, Father, for your revelation. Father, we pray that you would give a hunger and thirst across our nation to young men, Lord, who you are calling by your Holy Spirit. Father, give them a hunger again for your word to be able to understand it and to teach it, Lord, to know every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. Raise up young men, Lord God, who will take that position to teach the next generation, we pray. In Jesus' precious name, amen and amen. Our Sunday message is live streamed on the Shi'ar Jeshub Christian Tabernacle YouTube channel, and you will find a link to the channel on our website at shiarjeshub.org.